Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that there is more to confidence in the bedroom or the kitchen or the sex club or a stairwell or the woods or wherever you are. There's so much more to sex wherever you do it than just jackhammering away. But if all you're missing in your relationship is some mutually beneficial stiffness, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office with the doctors that never got trained in sex ed and how to talk to people about it, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They say that there is nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Of course, I know you sweet listeners know that using confidence to connect, if you can be confident enough to be really vulnerable with someone, to communicate, to create a safe space that you occupy together, that is super hot. That's the foundation of a connection. And if you have a boner, that can definitely help you do certain things that you know that I love, just as long as you don't skip all the other stuff too. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. And as they say, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER. At checkout, you just pay $5 shipping. That is bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Listen to the outro if you want to know how to connect and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast for us to learn and discover what we didn't know we needed to know about sex. And where we learn not every sex journey is the same, but we do seem to have overlap when it comes to the basic building blocks. Our guest today is an androgynous 30-year-old. They are pansexual in a hetero-passing relationship with a cis dude that has been four months long on the human timeline, but feels like six years. They are a submissive into housewife-style dinner, chores, etc. Also into praise and pain, a social worker from North Carolina. Welcome, honey. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you here. If in this moment you had to rate yourself on a sexual shameometer with one being totally shameless and 10 being super full of shame, where do you fall today? I'm at a one or two. 
I find that I have a lot less sexual shame when it's someone who doesn't know me and I don't have any personal connection with. If I'm telling this to like my friends or parents, I'm like up at an eight or nine. So, oh, wow, that's a huge difference. How is it for you to toggle back and forth? I think it's just because the social disconnect in a sense, like this is a person who I may or may not ever meet again. So if they learn something very grotesque about me, that's on them to decide if they want to forget it or not. But when it's my parents who, you know, have raised me since I was in diapers, talking about mom, about what positions I like is a little, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Not quite dinner talk. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, that's not the vibe in my family either. I will be extremely surprised if I find anything you say grotesque, but excited. I don't think I like grotesque, but, you know, sex in general to my Catholic family is grotesque. So that's wild. OK, so I'm hearing Catholic family. OK, OK, OK. So before <laughs> we get there, tell us what your sex life is like right now. Like, what are your favorite parts? Just give us a little overview. So I know you brought up the four month relationship with a cisgendered man. So he is very new. He actually was a virgin when I met him. Not anymore. And so it's almost like rediscovering sex for the first time again. And the best part is because I already know what I like. We're like meshing so well. He knows exactly what to do. Hits the right spots. It's like the wildest thing in the world. I was actually scared at the idea of having sex with a virgin. And so when we finally did and learning that like you can create the perfect sex partner. Can you share a little bit about why you felt scared to be with a virgin? I think it's just because in the personal sense, I don't like who I lost my virginity to. While the experience itself was not traumatic, the relationship was. I had a fear that I would be the same way. I had a fear that, you know, if we didn't work out or don't work out, he's going to go and regret who he lost his virginity to. So we actually like sat down for a good while once he told me he was still a virgin. And I was like, okay. I need you to understand this fear that I have. And he goes, okay, well, I trust you enough that you are exactly who I'd like to lose it to. And so it worked. Congratulations. And also that's like such hot, mature communication. That's so hot. He is so hot just because of how communicative he is. And he likes to talk about things. It's great. Amazing. Okay. On that note, tell me what does sexy mean to you? Is that part of it? Like communication I'm hearing is hot. Yeah. So you also addressed the sub-relationship as wild as it is, consent is the sexiest thing in the world. To have not only an understanding that, yes, you're both attracted to each other and yes, you both want to do this, but having that idea of this is what makes me feel good. This doesn't make me feel good. These are experiences I've faced and I'd like you to avoid situations like this. Coming from someone who has no relationship trauma and meeting with someone who does have relationship trauma, the fact that that communication almost seems like the bridge was there from the beginning. My big thing is consent and having that consent, having that communication is almost sexier than sex itself. Was there any trick to the communication or do you feel like it was just a magic thing that you're able to For do together? For him, it seemed a little bit more sporadic, fireworks kind of romantic thing. But for me, my most meaningful relationships came from the fact that I learned how to not only understand what my consent was, but also understanding that I'm allowed to have barriers and that I can say no, and it doesn't always have to be a bad thing, which I ended up actually learning from the kink community itself. Fuck yeah. In your formative years, did you ever explicitly learn about consent? I want to say it probably was addressed at some point in my early cognitive education years. But a lot of the times, and I'm coming from this as a teacher and a learning sex educator right now, learning to understand what consent is and being able to give consent 
has to start in a different format outside of sex. So things like consenting to family members hugging a child, that child needs to be able to say, no, I don't want grandma to hug me, that kind of thing. And I'm going to try as far as I can to stay away from the education aspect of it. But if you learn consent in a different format, you can start using it in things like sex. So for me, I want to say that I might have had an understanding of consent but not that it can be brought into every aspect of my life. So when I did get into my first serious relationships where sex was a thing, I did not voice consent. And there were times where that was taken advantage of. So now can you tell us what happens to your shameometer when it's time to talk to a new partner or any partner, I guess, about safer sex? And like in your perfect world, how would the ideal version of this conversation go? I will go ahead and start by saying I have never had my ideal. My ideal is I don't have that anxiety at all. I can easily go in and say, hey, listen, I want to go ahead and talk about what I enjoy, what you enjoy, what's a good stopping point, what's not okay for me, what is okay for me, that kind of thing. That's the ideal, that you don't have that shame. You're confident about who you are, what you want, what you don't want, that kind of thing. And it's reciprocated. In the current relationship I'm in, there was anxiety going in just because of that fear that I was explaining before about being the regretted virginity loser. But there was still some no shame because I know who I am as a person. I knew coming into this, I was not the most prudish person in the world. I've had some sexual experience and all that. And I felt confident enough that a guy chose me to be the one to do it for him. But those past fears brought anxiety into it. So I would say out of that ideal, this conversation with this partner, 80% of what the ideal would have been for me. Previously, no. Because, of course, I had to learn about consent while trying to give consent, which is a lot harder than learning what consent is and then giving the consent. 80% to me feels pretty good. Yeah, I've definitely had no shame meter whatsoever with other strangers before. But those were situations where I had the real advantage of being able to say no and leave and it's not a problem versus someone I'm trying to build a relationship with. (sighs) I can't just build a relationship with them and say, hey, you know what? I don't like you anymore because you did something that I'm never going to tell you about. Yeah, that's not just regular 80%. That's 80% on a curve, which I feel like it's even special. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. After that overview, now, can you take us back to your early years? And can you tell us what's your first memory about sex? I don't remember something outside of my actual first sexual experience. I remember as a junior in high school, had a boyfriend who had had some sexual experience. No, I'm sorry, freshman year. He was trying to talk me into having sex with him. I was okay with it. And I remember him trying. I guess I was super anxious and I just started bawling, thinking, oh my God, this is a horrible mistake. What have I done? And there was no any kind of gratification out of it. Oh, wow. And so I had a hard start with sex in the first place. The next actual memory of sexual experience was learning to masturbate for the first time because I remember distinctly thinking, oh, wait, girls could do it. I wonder why I only assumed boys could. Like, it just never dawned on me that like, oh, yeah, a girl could probably be able to masturbate too. I didn't know how to, but they probably could. And that was probably 15. I honestly don't think I have a real graspable memory as a child for a a sexual experience. I do remember pretending to be a mommy and actually pretending to be pregnant at like six or seven. No idea where babies came from. Wow. Did you have awareness that there was like attraction things or romantic things, like anything like that? Yeah. I identify as pansexual. I usually tell people I'm bisexual just because 
in the vanilla world, I don't want to explain pan every single time. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a good reason. I've been like, I wonder why people do that. I wonder what the difference is. That's the that's a really concrete reason. Okay. I just don't want to explain every time. I remember specifically because I have an aunt who never got the full grasp of it, but I do know that majority of my younger life she was with women. I have now been seeing her with men more often. I don't know what's the case. I don't know what the change is. Or if there's a change, I'm going to let her tell me when she tells me. But I remember growing up, she had wives and girlfriends. And one specific one who I adored, I remember loving her myself. I was like, I love her. And at one point I told her, like, I love you. And she goes, I'm happy. I love you too. And I said, well, is it okay for me to love you? And she goes, you can love anyone you want. And I said, yeah, I can love anyone I want. Can I? That was it. It wasn't a sexual attraction kind of thing. It was, I could love anyone. Who's going to stop me? Yeah, that's very beautiful and very powerful. I feel like I feel empowered hearing that and taking it on. I want to say I was 10 when that happened. Cool. Did you ever get a sex talk in your family? No. I grew up in a mixed religious family. My dad was agnostic because his father was Jewish and his mother was Lutheran. My mother came from an all Catholic side. So while we had a mixed religion... Catholicism was the biggest one that played an impact in the house. And my mom was not about to give that talk. And there was only daughters. So it's not like my dad was going to give that talk. I ended up learning some sex ed in fifth grade, which was a year after I started my period. So that was a wild ride. When you started bleeding, what did you do? I didn't tell anyone. And every time I had clean clothes, I just assumed mom didn't notice or washed in the washing machine. Just kind of kept it hidden. And then I remember, I would say three or four years later, coming downstairs one morning to find that my little sister was crying on the couch because she started her period in the middle of the night and had no idea. But no one had told her, not because my parents had told her, but they had stopped sex ed at the elementary school we went to. So she never got the talk and she was going to continue never having the talk if it wasn't for her 14-year-old sister telling her what was going on. Whoa. Okay. So you, without very much information, became a teacher of sex ed at a very young age. Yes. I mean, it just sounds like there was a lot of just like mystery shrouding sex in your formative years. How did you even figure out how to masturbate? Like, how did you learn? You know, I heard, guys, it must be a thing for me too. Like, one day did you just decide to try it or did it come from somewhere? Good old fashioned American porn. I, it's as horrible as that sounds. So, that first boyfriend in high school. He, of course, started to introduce sex to me. I remember literally going into that relationship thinking oral sex was just dirty talk, not with the mouth itself. I didn't know anything. And he was like, I'm going to touch you. You're going to touch me. Here's some porn we can watch together. And then I was like, I guess I'll just do this at home instead. And so I started watching porn. And that's literally how I learned everything. And I remember actually having sex for the first time two years ago and thinking this is nothing like porn. And that's sad. Ooh, say more, say more. Oh my God, my losing my virginity story is the worst story in the entire world and I love telling people about it. I was 16 years old. I remember specifically because it sounds so dramatic, but I was supposed to go to Easter Sunday church with him and his family and they couldn't do it. And I was like, this is God committing revenge on me, so I'm going to revenge back. And I decided that revenge against God would be having sex with my boyfriend. <laughs> I told him that afternoon, I wore a really pretty dress, told him at high school, I'm going to have sex with you at home. And he goes, okay, cool. My mom's not going to be home. So we get home to his mother's house, found out his dad was going to be there in 30 minutes. 
So we needed to rush. We weren't even under the covers or anything. He had to steal a condom from his mom's boyfriend's stash. It was too big, so he taped it down. No, what? Okay, for listeners, don't do that. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Yes, I got out of that lucky. And it lasted probably three minutes. I barely felt anything. It was horrible. And I love it. And then like emotionally, how was that for you? I was so surprised about how uneventful it was. You know, movies and TV make it such a glorious, glamorous, you know, sweat dripping down, girls gripping onto the bedspread, you know, hair getting tousled. And I'm just laying there like a starfish. And all I could think of was it is nothing like anything represents it as. Porn doesn't represent it properly. TV, hell, even erotica doesn't always present it. It's never always that gripping bedsheet. Sometimes it's a quickie on the counter while you're waiting for dinner to be done. And I don't know. I was disappointed. But at the same time, too, I was ignorant of how it was going to be anyway. So looking back on it now, super uneventful. It's just a funny story at this point. But back then, it was probably just a Friday afternoon, as weird as it is. Is there anything else in your like early formative experiences that you want as a background before we kind of move into details and start to bridge the gaps? Yeah, actually, in a sense, my first kink experience was actually extremely traumatic for me because there was no consent at all. It was basically a I'm going to be your dom, you're going to be my sub and I'll get to do whatever I want. And the idea with me was the consent was he can do whatever he wants. I didn't realize I could have more consent behind that. So it was a very traumatic experience. I ended up being out of the kink scene for probably four years. And I just rediscovered it back in 2020 when, you know, no one had nothing to do but be on the Internet and be perverts to everybody. But I had to actually sit down and research kink and consent and all that kind of stuff to get an understanding of one, that that is a thing. And two, what are the different topics you can go over? Actually, funny enough. My partner coming into this, he had never experienced anything kink related outside of porn. And so he wanted to learn and divulge with me. He's still in very baby process. Mm. But he actually surprised me one day when he sat me down and said, I have a lot of questions to ask. And he just went down this list of what are names you're okay with? I'm having you call me honey because that's his name for me because it's that kind of, you know, hi, honey, I'm home. That's hot. Yeah. He's like, first off, what's a pet? And second, do you want to be one? And I said, no. (laughs) The fact that he researched it himself. He researched it himself and then he did it. I can't tell you how many people claim to be doms on Tinder or or OkCupid or FetLife. And and I'm like, okay, so you're a dom? So so you're going to ask me any questions? Oh, you're not. Oh, you want to rape me? Ew. (laughs) No, thanks. Exactly. And that last dom was also the kind of person who used polyamory as an excuse to cheat. Fucking hate that. Uh, Yeah, he was gross. But with my current boyfriend... Coming into the relationship, he knew that I had a different dom outside. He also knew because even before we started dating, we discussed like, hey, I want you to understand that if I want to be in a relationship with you, I'd like to be monogamous. And I told him like, absolutely, I'm going to respect your wishes. I don't need to be polyamorous in a relationship. I'm polyamorous when I'm single. Mm -hmm. Say more. Just the idea of unless I commit myself to you and we have that consent discussion, I am a free person and I'm going to be with other people. And if you don't like that, you don't have to be with me. My thought process is unless we have that, you know, middle school, are you my boyfriend? Are you my girlfriend conversation? I don't assume I'm actually in a relationship. And so we actually sat down and he's like, 
I would like you to be committed to me. And I said, absolutely. This is you asking for that. And again, another form of consent. Don't just assume I'm your girlfriend because we're dating each other. So at that point, I spoke with my dom and we're actually just friends now. I still consider him my dom because I know that if the relationship was to end, he'd still be there. He's also the kind of person where if he's in a relationship, he's monogamous. But we took that time to even say, like, this is stuff I did with my dom. This is stuff I'd like to do with you differently. Like we had a full consenting conversation and stuff like that. One of the things that I addressed with him, which was something I had been looking into and had experienced one other time was the housewife kink. Essentially, it's a form of the subdom relationship in which you have those traditional household values, leave it to beaver, you know, I dream a genie kind of situation in which there is a wife who takes care of the home and takes care of her husband. The husband provides financially and and discipline and still has that same role of the control and command, maybe without being degrading or considering like a slave relationship. It's almost a nice way of having a partnership where someone is still in charge. And then, of course, in the end, because it is a subdom relationship, he also understands that I have a say. Not going to lie, like I said before, when I was a kid, I used to pretend to be mommy and, and have my dolls in pregnancy. And it kind of plays back to that little girl fantasy of just growing up and being a mommy or growing up and being a wife and fitting into those gross heteronorm roles without actually fitting into it. Because of course, I love being my independent woman who don't need no man. But I kind of like the idea of having dinner ready for somebody having the house clean for someone knowing that somebody is out there taking care of me the way I'm taking care of them at home. I mean, that is my whole goal is to have a world where we take care of each other mission 69 style. Like that's so beautiful and so beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. And just like hot too, because you're a fucking rad person like covered in tats. And so the idea of you like also just having this other thing. I was about to say I have like the big Doris Day dresses. I've got the tool skirts and stuff like that. I've got the heels. I I love that. Do you get fucked in those? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Oh my God. The hottest thing in the world is when a guy has to lift up all the tool to get to you and he's got you on the counter. Funny enough, Thanksgiving dinner, I didn't have a actual housewife dress, but I was wearing a dress and he's like, you know what? Close enough. Puts me on the counter, high heels behind his head. It's hot. And that's one of those almost close to the movie situations where it's like, you know what? Dinner can wait and your heels are in the sink. Oh my gosh. I might be the boring person that's like, no, eat our food first. I made it. Sometimes I mess up fantasies like that. Well, yeah, but that's when you can always bring up, you know, you can play that mommy role of, okay, well, you have to have dinner before dessert kind of thing. So here's what I want to ask you. I'm going all out of order and there are some gaps that we will fill in, but I'm so fascinated by this experience. So first, you're the first person I've talked to who seems not to have this kind of like itchy freedom feeling when you go monogamous, even though you seem comfortably poly as a solo poly person. Do I hear that correctly? Yeah, again, it kind of fits into that heteronorm factor of, you know, got to be with one person, be with that soulmate for the rest of your life. I have no problem being with one person at a time because for me, I know a relationship is more important when there's a reason to be in that relationship. If I'm just being in that relationship to date, maybe get a dinner or, or you know, just get my rocks off, I'm not going to be as committed to the person. But if I have some kind of connection with them and I'm going to be committed, I'm going to be committed. If I entered a relationship that was poly, because I've been the girlfriend for polyamorous marriages and stuff like that, that's not an issue. I think a lot of it also kind of comes down to, and I think this is a lot of people's reasons for not being in polyamorous. It's just that anxiety of, 
they might like the other person more than me or stuff like that. And, and I'll admit that too. And I would not want to force a guy or a girl into a polyamorous relationship with me if I wouldn't feel comfortable in being one with them. Yeah, I have typical millennial anxiety and paranoia. I'm going to constantly think that they're going to leave me for the other person. And I'm not going to do that to somebody else. So I just stay out of it completely when I'm in a committed relationship. And I'm okay with that. Okay. I mean, it sounds very streamlined. For me, I think the biggest vote for monogamy is like playing without barriers, you know, like fluid bonding and just like the practicality of it. Like I'm so practical that I think that's just like hot. So I actually, before we get more details, want to get a little bit of gaps filled in. I realized that we jumped from when you were 16 having your first experience to kink. And I want to just kind of go back and fill in what else happened. It sounds like sex got better overall, but it sounds like there was some struggle in between. Yes. So going off it in a little bit of a timeline, 16 to 25, I experienced a few bouts of sexual trauma and relationship trauma and stuff like that. And the idea is, of course, that's a horrible and traumatic thing, but I also wouldn't be where I am or the person I am without it. 16 to 25 was just several months off or several years off relationship, several years off. It was it was very like spanned out and stuff like that. At 21, I met a ex who was my longest relationship four years. We were engaged. We were planning to get married, all that kind of stuff. And then it just ended up falling through. And at the end of that relationship, I found out he had been cheating the entire four years we were together. So I decided that, you know, you wasted four years of my life. I'm going to get four years back. So within one year, I went from him being my fourth or fifth sexual partner to up in the 30s okay, in a year span because I was like, well, I need to relive my early 20s. And in that year span of, you know, having one night stands for the first time, having casual sex partners, friends with benefits, all that kind of stuff, being in polyamorous relationships with married couples, I ended up really taking the time to not only understand who I am, understand what I enjoy, but I also took that time to really educate myself. I was fully adapting to the androgynous gender. I had been out as a bisexual since I was 11 over the years, expanded to pansexuality and then androgyny. So I took that time to learn a lot about the LGBT community, which then led me to the kink community because they kind of coincide a bit together and just learning and researching. I'm currently working on getting my healthy sexuality education because I'm learning that a lot of the stuff that happened to me in the relationship trauma kind of coincides with what happened afterwards in a sense of learning that things could have been avoided if I had learned about some of those sexual boundaries and stuff. One of the sexual traumas was with a boyfriend. And my thought process at that time was, he's my boyfriend. I have to have sex with him. Mm. And it's one of those things where if I took the time to really learn about healthy sexuality and who I am as a person, I'd learn that that's not the case. You don't have to have sex with your boyfriend, that kind of thing. You have every right to say no to anybody, even if you've been dating them for 10 hundred years, like you have the right to say no. And hell, I'm still learning to do that. I'm have times where, you know, my partner will stop me in the middle of sex and he goes, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, you don't want to have sex right now, do you? And I'm like, no. Wow. And he's like, okay. And stop. yeah. And he'll stop like midway. And that's the kind of thing. And that's what makes actual relationships relationships knowing that you can stop in the middle of sex and it'll be okay if he gets left with a blue ball it's not your fault that kind of thing we take care of each other yes hey lovers this episode is sponsored by blue chew we all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health 
But if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Exactly. And understanding that you cannot work together if someone is forcing themselves to do something they're not comfortable with. Can I nitpick about one language thing I heard or just reflect about? Sure, yeah. I heard you say, if I had taken the time to learn, and the little I know of your story so far is that you did not grow up in a childhood where that was an option. That's what I think we're working here to change, but I just want to kind of call it out because like, that's why we have to talk about it. Yeah, and that's something that I want to be a part of because one of the things that I'm working on is actually being a sex educator for children, like preschool age. Fuck yeah. Because I'm frustrated that they're getting kisses by Great Albert, who we don't know what he's like in his past life. And, and you hear all these horrible stories about children trying to express sexual trauma, but they're using, you know, cookie for vagina and stuff like that. And that's a part of the process I want to be a part of, that understanding that, yes, sex is a taboo thing for some people and cultures and religions and stuff like that, but it's not something that has to be completely hidden. You don't have to talk about sex, but you have to understand that you have biological things that you need to worry about and you have consent things that you need to worry about. Fuck yes. So I want to go back into the period of your life where you were like, it sounds like you were exploring while learning a ton. And so it's just like all of these amazing ways of learning, which in some ways I feel like I'm doing now in my early 30s. What inspired that? Were you just like, I must also research? Are you a researcher by nature? Like, how did you kind of come to that conclusion that that was going to be your path? So it extends from a lot of different points. The being more sexually expressive came from the way that last relationship ended, where I found out he had been cheating on me the whole time and stuff like that. That was my dawning moment of, I need to be a woman or a now an androgynous person. I I need to explore my personal needs. One of the very first people that I met after that relationship ended was that very first Dom role figure in my life. And so he, while presenting a bad image of the kink community, I think the confidence that I had gained in that exploration phase helped me to realize the lack of confidence I had in the consent phase of my life. Because almost immediately after I stopped seeing that Dom, did I realize how much he manipulated me. And before, when I was younger, that would have taken me years. 
at that time, I think I was finally like really knowledge on the idea of people can take advantage of you in a lot of ways and finally being able to call that stuff out. And so I think the mix of those two slightly traumatic periods, I guess that was my awakening moment, that sense of not only learning that I should limit myself because of other people, but also realizing that people shouldn't take advantage of me. And you were just like, and I'm going to learn everything officially, too. (laughs) I wish it was that super confident, but it was more confident than where it was. And so it was a stepping stone. I'm like 85% there now. I'm still very much a sexual exploration, no one can take advantage of me. But then I have those moments where I was like, "Ah, I should be having sex with him because he's my partner. But knowing that I also have the ability to stay soft when I can stop. Okay, so I want to dive into details about things you love. I've heard you say cooking dinners in housewife costumes. And I want to know if you do it at your place or his place, because I don't think you live together. I heard unicorning. I heard lots of explorations. Like, what are the standouts? Where do you want to go first? So starting with that first point with the cooking, we do and don't live together. On our very first date, we found out we're next door neighbors. We met over Hinge. And instead of like Tinder, where Tinder gives you the mileage, Hinge gives you the neighborhood. And so I was like, oh, I see you live in this neighborhood, too. I also live in this neighborhood. What street do you live on? And he goes, oh, I live off this one. I'm like, I live off that one. What street do you live on? He goes, I live on this one. And I'm like, I live on that street. What number building are you? Because our street is only apartment complexes. And I was like, what building are you? And he's like, this number. And I'm like, that's the building right next to mine. He's not even a 10 second walk from my apartment to his apartment. That's amazing. I mean, is it amazing or is it? It's amazing because we're connecting so well. If we were not connecting as well as we were, it'd probably be a little weird. I've had several conversations where I looked at him and I said, are you only dating me because I'm the next door neighbor girl and you think I'm going to go stalker on you? But whatever. His apartment is essentially his office and private bathroom at this point. He pretty much lives at my apartment. Wow. Cooking dinners is great, aside from the fact that he has so many digestive problems. So I have to cook a lot of healthy foods. My mood got a lot better when I had to eat healthy, like when alcohol and sugar were no longer options. I will say the healthier the food is, the easier it's going to be. If you have like, I won't lie. Of course, we've all tried to have pizza sex. And that is the worst sex in the whole world. Yes. There's no one who can try and convince me that eating like three slices of some supreme pizza and going to have sex is the greatest thing in the world. I've read so many jokes where it's when you're 30 years old, you need to decide, are you going to have Taco Bell that day or are you going to have sex that day? <laughs> I'm like, well, just have the junk food afterwards or be okay with vomiting nachos when you deep throat. <laughs> yes. I will say that a lot of the times I like specifically picking, if not some kind of roasting dinner where it needs to be in the oven for like two hours, some kind of crock pot meal. So I can do like the side prep, like, oh, I'm cutting up the potatoes. And while I'm cutting up the potatoes, that's when you're coming behind and rubbing up on me. So that kind of thing. That way, the side dishes aren't going to take that long. So it's okay if they sit while we go fuck. But, you know, the roast will be in the oven and I don't have to worry about it. And do you wear heels while you cook? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I find it funny. I am one of those God-given talented people that can walk and run in heels. I'm also the kind of person where the thinner the heel, the easier it is for me. What? Yeah, I can't do wedges. Wedges make me feel like I'm wearing horse feet. They are heavy. The housewife kink doesn't have to be that 50s and 40s thing. One of his favorite things in the world is if I'm just wearing a pair of like boy short underwear and this one hoodie that I take from him all the time. And that's it. Just those two things. And cooking dinner while wearing that. That's very hot. I have a praise kink as well. It's always that joke of, you know, you didn't have loving and supporting parents. So you love when someone says they're proud of you or you get hot when dad calls you sport or something like that. But there's a way of causing 
the psychological pain that some people look for in degrading subdom relationships in the same with praise. So again, I just explained mother didn't love you enough. She didn't say enough kind things to you. You'd be surprised how someone just saying you're doing such a great job can make you just start crying in the bedroom. I find that the subdom praise kink relationship is almost a weird form of therapy in a sense in this idea that one, I'm getting a love and support that I haven't before. And two, which is my favorite thing about it, there are going to be times where in the middle of that dom sub thing where it is a little bit more impactful, I have PTS flashbacks to some of those sexual traumas. And in a way, they're therapeutic because I can stop them. Mm. I couldn't stop them then, but I can stop them now. I can look at my dom and say, hey, I need a minute. Or I can say our safe word. And all of a sudden, that horrible, traumatic thing I experienced ended because I ended it there. It's not that way as much anymore. Now it's all about the actual physical pain, which I also enjoy. You know, I could relive moments that scarred me and tell them they don't matter anymore. Incredible. And the neuroscience podcast that I'm obsessed with, the Huberman Lab, recently did an episode on our neuro rewiring, basically, after therapeutic stuff. It was stressing the importance of not just processing the trauma or the harm, but replacing it with a similar and new thing that can replace. So that's why the kink is so fucking amazing. Yeah. I have some specific questions for you. One is about, is it effortful teaching? I want to start there. I hear that you are a submissive, but I also hear these parts where you're talking about like having this person that you can train. How do you kind of like balance that for your submissive self? It's hard. The reason I aim and want and am a sub is because I am such a control freak in real life that I want a moment where I'm not in control and I don't have a say in it. Now I do because of course I can say no, but there's the agreeing consent. But this idea of hey, somebody is telling me I have to blow them off and I can't say no to it. I know I can, but, you know, but just that feeling of I don't have to worry about being in control of this situation. And in a way, I kind of am because I did teach him a lot of the things that wasn't always the aspect. But the fact that I think the only reason it's as great as it is, is because he is taking his own initiative to learn. It really sounds like he is, which is hot. Some of the praise kink things he has learned since I've met him destroy me because I'm like, I've never heard anyone say that before. That's really hot. I need you to stop before I just rip all your clothes off. Like, it's great. Can you share an example? One of the ones is I adore you. Mm. You're exactly what I needed because in that way, it's still that controlling thing, but also that you're doing a great job kind of thing. You look so pretty when you're doing the right thing. With the housewife thing, things like you take such good care of me. This house would fall apart if you weren't there. You know, those cheesy kind of things you would have heard maybe dad say back then. But like this idea of, you know, someone thinks that I manage a house really well because I can't keep a plant alive. So that is great. I want to noodle on praise and degradation. For me, they get really loopy. Like it wasn't until I started interviewing people one on one that I was like, wait, well, I guess I is that degrading? I guess it's a degrading word, but he's saying it so nice and it feels like praise. Like, are you into any dynamics like that in earlier kink explorations? So like, for example, I loved being like told that I was, I don't know, such a dirty, pervy cum slut who needed this. Like I never, I didn't hear those as like degrading until I was like talking to people and they're like, yeah, you know, like I love to get degraded, like things like that. And I was like, wait, oh yeah, good point. Do you ever experience that switch? The, the The examples you gave me are very sweet, but do those ones ever work for you? I want to say no, just because I'm a people pleaser. 
And so the moment someone says something that doesn't sound like I'm doing a good thing. So I'm just checking in because it's the details of the words for different people. I had one person make a joke saying like, you're so ergonomical. You're not a cum dumpster. You're compost bucket or compost bin. <laughs> okay. That's very silly. I love it. It was very funny, but he did not have the consent to send that to me. So I was insulted. Oh yeah. 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 Without consent, without the proper relationship. Oh, yeah. But that's a very good pun. If my dom had sent that, I thought it would be very funny. This guy I slept with one time 10 years ago. No, that was not funny. But I found that there are some ways to do the praise in a degrading and punishing way. One of the things my dom liked to do was he would tell me that I needed to tell myself that I was proud of myself Mm. or tell myself I loved myself. Love that. And if I didn't, he'd hit me. Ooh. Yes. And the longer gaps that I had between them, he'd hit me harder. That is hard. Yes. And for me, that is not an easy thing to say. It will take me a while before I actually say it. If I took too long for him, he'd hit me. Okay, so even as a people pleaser with your dom telling you it's that difficult for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you said, tell me you love me. Oh, yeah. I love you, baby. No, no thing. Tell you you love yourself. Uh, no. That's such a good dom who is paying attention to what you need support. And so that's where I'm building to. I want to hear about how you met him, how you felt into safety. And I want to hear about pain and how you discovered pain and what pains you like. So Dom, I met him on Tinder at the very middle of the pandemic. I was just like, I need to get out. I need to meet people, blah, blah, blah. Yep. He lived two hours away from me. He just happened to be in town because his mother lived nearby. And so he was just connecting with people. He was in a very sporadic relationship dating scene. He had just gotten out of a marriage. He was learning about dating all over again, that kind of thing. And so we just met really quickly. We had a really nice lunch and all that kind of stuff, but we knew we weren't going to be serious with each other. So we just started talking. And when we started talking, he discovered kink for the first time. And so he was sharing that with me. Like I've been to a month recently and all that. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That is the thing. So we made an agreement like, hey, I'd like to get back into kink. And if you want to practice domination, I'd be happy to do that with you because we had sex one time before. And so we decided to do it. And so it just kind of blended well. Like, you know, he was learning to be a dom while I was relearning to enjoy the kink society. And with consent, with those communications, we had a nice long talk before our first scene. And that scene lasted, oh, God, I would say like two or three hours because, yeah. He really took the time. We had code words. He made sure like in the beginning, like, is it okay if I try to make you cry? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Go ahead and try to make me cry. (sighs) Funny enough, he made me cry more with what he said than actually hurting me. So he's the one that did the like, you need to say you love yourself. Was that in your first session? That was in our first session. Yeah. Whoa. In our very first session. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities. All thanks to Flora. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Floor and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. 
Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Fleur App celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Fleur invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Fleur now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. And he brought in a full bag of toys. He had crops and paddles. He prepared himself. Okay. In the first session, he said that things like, you're prettier than you think you are. I'm so happy to have you as a sub in my life, that kind of thing. It was just very like heartwarming things. And he was very also understanding of when to ease back. I think it was just because he was just a really educated person. And he made sure that when he looked into the premise of all of it, he looked into it and he really got to learn it and he got to understand what it was. And so I just feel like he brought a lot of information into it. And my idea of already understanding what I wanted and that consent and those communications, that's just what made everything work. I think we only had about three experiences before I ended up meeting my partner. But even then, too, like he is understanding. We're still really great friends. They've actually both met each other now. We did a 5K together. Oh, that's amazing. It almost seemed like, you know, ex-husband meets the new boyfriend, but in a nice, cool, calm way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paddles, riding crops, did those get used on you right away? No, he took some time. He read the room very well. Hell, he even actually had a Spotify playlist ready to go. No, he took his time. He made sure to continually check in with me, make sure that we had water ready and all that kind of stuff. I want to say it's about 30 or 45 minutes before the first pain-inducing instrument was used because we just took time to learn. Beautiful. And what would you say are your favorite kinds of pains? I really enjoy, not specifically nipple clamps in general, but the suction ones, if you've ever... Oh, yeah. I have the twisty kind that can... Yeah, Mm, I do too. I'm definitely a fan of the writing crop. One of the things that I've recently learned is the pinwheels. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So that's a new one. Basically, kind of just, you know, the introductory stuff, writing crops, bloggers, paddles, all that kind of stuff. I tried the suction cup thing once at a play party. Like acupuncture cupping? Yeah, almost exactly the same. Yeah, but with fire play. Oh, I actually, this is, I did not know that that was being used in Kinky Spears. Oh, oh, where did they put it? What did they do to you? On your nipples? Where did they put it? They did it on my back, just as actual acupuncture kind of thing. But it can be used for like nipples and genitalia, depending all that kind of stuff. So one of my favorite things that no one usually talks about, I like ice play. Uh. I love people taking an ice cube on nipples, on the clit itself. Oh, my God. Is that not the wildest sensation? Love, 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 love. Have you had an ice cube go in any of your holes? No, because I never thought about it. I think I had an ice cube up my butt with my former master, but I think once it was like in there, I couldn't feel anything because it was just like gold and I was inside. (laughs) That opened a lot of new doors for me, actually, because that's making me think about anal play in general. Have you done anal play? Yes, I've done anal play several times. Never had a problem with it. 
for some reason, and I guess this is complimenting him more than me, can't seem to do it with my new partner yet. Yes. I'm struggling to do it with him. And so we've been looking at new ways. I've got anal stretching and the, the butt plugs, like trainings. Yeah. I wanted to call them Russian nesting doll butt plugs in a sense because <laughs> they, they just slowly get bigger. I know they don't go into each other. Babushka butt plugs. Mm-hmm. Babushka butt plugs. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be actually kind of hilarious. I got the lube injector and stuff like that. I don't know, but kind of like the idea of just numbing it. Mm, I mean, that's hot. No, I mean, it's not going to numb it enough so that it won't like you might still want lube for the ice cube. I can't I think I was like definitely like fingered up at that point. It was not the first thing. And you have to make sure that you're getting the like sharp edges off the ice cubes, you know, like for a butthole, at least vaginas are okay for me and for my pussy. It was fine with the edges, but depends on the shape of the ice cube you have too. I was about to say I have a honey cube ice cube tray. So they're all like hexagonal. <laughs> honey cube shapes that probably is not the best like those giant ones that go in fancy fancy drinks oh i do actually have the large bartender ice cubes the ones that are like the size of a rubik's cube i do have that don't use probably not use that one (laughs) yeah do be careful for sharps i have the like half moon ones and so you rub it over the body and that's a really good shape you should just get the the water bottle ones the water bottle ones that make the long stick oh my god i should that's probably why they exist genius okay Adding that to my bucket list. They make ice cube trays where they're literally just long sticks so you can put them in the neck of a water bottle. All right. Well, I think that is what I'm doing. Okay. Good idea. What other sex stuff are you into that we haven't talked about? Okay. So we have lots of sensory play. So one of my favorite things, it's kind of boring, but I kind of really enjoy just masturbating with each other. Like just side by side, being a part of it. I'm not going to lie. I have better orgasms with myself and I know I do. And so I pull out my wand. He's got his trusty old right hand and we're just side by side kind of talking to each other. It's almost like those days of like phone sex and Skype sex and all that kind of stuff. But you're actually together and you're an adult and all that kind of stuff. I'm a huge fan of public stuff. Not quite expose essentially, but like put a vibrator in me while we're at the grocery store. You know, yeah. yeah, I'm like I'm picking out some cereals and all of a sudden you got me buzzing. I like wearing skirts with no underwear. I'm not the kind of person who has like butt skirts with no underwear, but you know, long enough that you can't see it, but he knows about it. And I will always with consent and with a partner of mine, touch people under tables. I'm a big board gamer. I like to play board games at my local shop all the time. And I love rubbing on my partner's dick while he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do for his move. It's the best thing in the world. Dude, that's I love it. It's so mean. And that's my way of like torturing him. But like, I love him trying so hard to get as many points as possible. And here I am hand all over his jack. And he just cannot focus. I love it. And it's very sweet, too, because he came into the relationship as a virgin. He grew up Mormon. So his entire life had been sheltered as well. And now here he is with some kink, sex craze, androgynous person who, you know, is kind of like just shifting his entire life. And some reason he loves me and wants to be there. What a beautiful gift that you are to him. Oh, it's great. It's adorable. The running joke is I am that emo girlfriend. He's my fluffy haired golden retriever boyfriend. And it's perfect. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. On the details of touching yourself, can you give us some? How do you like to touch yourself? How do you like to be touched? I'm definitely the person that focuses straight on the clit. I guess that's just because that's how I started and that's how I go. I usually like wands. I like to make it as quick as possible because I'm there for the ride, not the journey. I don't know. Masturbation is a quick and easy thing for me. One of my big things with sex, despite how much I'm super positive and have no shame about it and all that kind of stuff, 
it's a very casual thing for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because of how I grew up and how it was never talked about as this taboo thing because it just wasn't talked about at all. Sex is a casual thing for me. My idea of sex, it doesn't have to be this long played out thing where it takes two hours. If you want to get done in 10 minutes, let's get done in 10 minutes. Let's go smoke a bowl and let's eat a pizza. Like I'm happy to do that. Masturbating for me, if it's more than five minutes, I'm probably exhausted and don't want to do anything. I love sex. I'm totally cool about talking about it. It doesn't need to be this beautiful, glamorous thing. Because like I said, the movies overplayed it for us. I don't care about it anymore. I mean, I care about it without caring about it. Does it mean I don't like it? No. Does it mean it's not good? It's fantastic. It's great. I just don't want to put too much effort into it or too much emphasis on it. There's a lot of definitions of excellent. And they look different all the time. Also, I want to just be really clear on this podcast because I do get some messages. So I'm worried I'm not saying this out loud quite enough. I'm a really lazy masturbator. I masturbate with my magic wand most often. I do sometimes use my hand. I go through phases where it's like that is all I'll do. And I'm like my origin story was like as a very quiet self-toucher because it was always in secret. And so like I still like love that. This is the time where I don't, you know, like and then I still enjoy other people for touches. And I am a touch whore. Like I cannot get enough touches. But I just want to say all lengths of time are good. (laughs) Yes. I'm so tired of this whole like two pump chuck kind of thing. Like if he's two pumps and he enjoyed it, fantastic. If he's going to help you enjoy it later. It's the enjoyment part. My thought process is as long as I enjoy it in some way, I'm cool. And my enjoyment is that they're enjoying it. Yeah, I can easily go months without an orgasm. And as long as they're enjoying it, I'm okay. Will I actually go months without an orgasm? Probably not. I hope not. Your neuromodulator levels might suffer. I think we need some more orgasms. (laughs) One of the things that he likes to do, he makes sure he gets me first. Nice. Almost always. If it's not actually like finger play or through sex itself, or I already told him like, hey, I'm not interested in having an orgasm tonight, but I'm okay with having sex with you. He will take care of me first. That way he doesn't have to worry about how long he has to go, doesn't have to worry about, you know, what positions or anything like that I'm taken care of. He can worry about himself then. I love that as long as someone is not like making it very clear that they're just like trying to check the box so that they can move on to them. Because those are the moments where I'm like, oh, he's trying really hard to make me come as fast as possible. Not like he's trying really hard to make me come full period. And I am saying he I'm I just want to call myself that I'm saying he because it's only happened with cis male partners. Like I just haven't had that for my queer partner. So, yeah, my thought process is we've already communicated what it means for an actual sexual experience versus just having sex. He knows going into sex if I want to have an orgasm. It's either maybe I'm kissing a little harder than normal or maybe I'm touching him a little tighter or something like that. He has an awareness of this is a night where she wants to actually have an orgasm. Oh, hot. If he initiates and I don't pull away, but I'm not as intense to it, then he knows like, She may not want to have an orgasm. We'll talk about it later. That kind of thing. And again, that ability to communicate and stuff like that will get hot and heavy. And then I'll just be in bed and I'll be like, hey, you know what? I'm actually more tired than I think I am. Let's go ahead and have sex. You get what you need out of it. And then I'm probably going to go to bed. And he goes, "Okay, cool. Does that make us sound like we're 60? Probably. But, you know, 
we're enjoying ourselves. I don't think so. I think it's so hot to communicate. And I actually think that it's just, you know, the societal standards that we're all trying to match for some reason, rather than like checking with ourselves to be like, what do we want in this room? What do we think is hot? What do the two of us here want to do? Not some like random third party observer that doesn't exist. And one of my favorite things in the world, which he is the only relationship I've ever done it with, even when we're not having a scene, we always have aftercare. And our aftercare specifically is taking a bath with each other. When we first met, I had explained one of my things, which everybody seems to love, is the fact that I have a latex allergy. So I tend to bear back majority of the time. So when we first started talking to each other, I explained to him that when I first found out I had a latex allergy, rather than realizing I could get latex-free condoms, I used to get regular condoms. And then I'd have to spend like an hour in the tub to get rid of the pain. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That was another reason my first sexual experience was horrible. I didn't realize I had a latex allergy then. What does it do to you? A horrible burning sensation. And the longer it stays, the more likely I'll have cracked skin and bleeding. On your pussy? Anywhere. So I first had horrible pain with sex. I didn't realize it was a latex allergy until about a month later when I put liquid latex on my face for a stage makeup class oh no had it on for about an hour peeled it off and i was hives cracked skin bleeding everywhere oh you poor thing yeah the second time i realized that it was a serious thing was wearing latex gloves a couple months later i had realized i had a latex allergy i didn't realize that that was a part of the latex allergy so wow so i explained to him that was something i did and he goes okay so do you like baths and i said yeah sometimes after cleaning myself out i'll just sit in the bath for a little bit and he goes would you like me to join you i said Sure, I'm not going to tell you no. You can, of course. And so it came a part of our aftercare for King Scenes and then just became a after sex every time. Huh. Even if I don't want to have a bath, he'll go have a bath. Oh, I love that. He's now like a bath a day person because he's realized how much he enjoys his baths in general, but also because we have that one thing. And it's now a ritual and a routine versus just aftercare to get over the consented trauma that you get from kink life. And you can bring it into vanilla sex and it's actually kind of adorable. I love that. I think that that's wonderful because also even if it doesn't require aftercare, if you're not doing a big kinky thing, it is nice to have an arc. That's what I miss from a lot of vanilla sex is the, you know, just poofs out afterwards. And you're like, oh, I, oh, now we pretend like we're straight. What? This is dating? No, thank you. Ah. Yeah. (laughs) No, if we're not actually having a bath, another thing is going to watch Bob's Burgers. We're currently going through that. So Sometimes we'll just go back to watching Bob's Burgers. Sometimes it'll be as simple as us coexisting. He's playing a video game. I'm cross-stitching on the couch or something. And that's our time. We always make sure that we're not alone afterwards. I guess that would be the biggest aftercare slash routine. We're never actually completely separated. Whether that be because we kind of live with each other or not, that might be a different story. Yeah. But it sounds like there's transition moments that are important. Exactly. We're doing something together after sex every time. And I think that's the biggest thing. And that's the most impactful part of the relationship. Okay, just going back to earlier, because I keep thinking about it. How did you discover the housewife thing? Was that with him? Or did you do it at all with your previous Dom? Or like, when did that come up for you? I remember seeing the term housewife as a part of the kink format when I joined FetLife for the first time, because under their scroll down lists of descriptive terms, one of them was housewife. And so I looked it up. I would say this was 2019 when I learned it. So it was pretty recent. I want to say the very first time where I thought about that as a thing. I don't know if you ever watched Gilmore Girls growing up. I didn't. Okay. There's an episode where the main character's boyfriend brings up how he kind of wants that housewife 
aspect. And she's a very educated, wants to travel the world kind of girl. And everybody's like, you don't want to live that for the rest of your life. You don't want to do that. And so she agreed. She didn't want to do it. But for him, for a night, she dressed up in Doris Day dresses, wore pearls around her neck. And she was a housewife for him for one night. But they both had that consensus of we can both have the lives we want without forcing the other to get rid of their dreams. And I remember seeing that growing up. I think I was definitely middle or high school when I saw that episode. But just seeing like, hey, it's not a bad thing to still want to be the housewife of the 50s, even though we live in this world where, you know, women work and, you know, women voting and having rights and powers, because of course we want that. But it's also okay for some women to want to be that submissive figure and stuff like that. It's the same topic of, you know, a working mom versus a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. Are there any kinks that you haven't explored yet that you want to explore? I know that I really want to try a St. Andrew's cross. I know I want to try that. I definitely want to try more actual bondage. I've only just done cuffs and straps to the bed and stuff like that. But I want to try like big things. I want to do something suspension, but not with the hooks. You mean hooks through the skin? Yeah, that's a thing. And good on those people. I thought you meant like, I, I want to make sure that I have like secured eye bolts and not just hooks hanging from the ceiling. I was like, wait, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah oh, I'll take yeah. both. Yeah, <laughs> Like ropes and harnesses type suspension. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a part of me that would really love to be a femdom one day, but I don't have the heart to do that. I think I would start crying if I started telling somebody what to do. <laughs> it sounds like you have mommy dom vibes, though. I mean, it's a, just a different energy and effort. I've been thinking about this a lot, a lot. Yeah. It's finally nice to have a cisgender man who is understanding and accepting, but I've always had with the androgyny, the desire for the mask part of the relationships and having someone on my chest, stroking their hair and that kind of thing. He adores that because physical touch is his top thing. Huh. And so just that thing of me being in charge of, you know, your comfort and stuff like that. I have that. So yeah, I guess I would say that mommy dom is probably a thing whether that's something he wants to explore is a different story yeah yeah but we'll see what happens i kind of like it though when do you feel like you're the most in touch with your body i don't know i've still got some body dysphoria going on with myself i recently just lost a lot of weight so i'm rediscovering my body itself i used to be about 200 pounds i'm now 140 something and so that's a new concept for me i'm just struggling to like myself right now i'm not struggling I am getting out of the struggle of it. Like I bought some crop tops for the first time. And I will say though, that forcing myself out of my comfort zone is the time I'm the most comfortable with myself. I recently for Valentine's Day did a boudoir shoot as a Valentine's Day gift. I am wigliberating you. And let me tell you something. It started with me immediately crying. I got as high as possible. So I'd stop crying and then took the photo shoot. And I'm not super in love with what I look like in the pictures, but I gave him the flash drive. He's looking on his computer and he just starts doing this shirt up in his face. And he's just like, babe. It was so sweet. And that made me feel more attractive than me actually taking the photo shoot, me wearing the lingerie that I was wearing. Like the fact that somebody got so bashful of the idea of seeing me in promiscuous clothing and it's just pictures he's seen me naked he's touched my body but this is what has gotten him all blushed and flustered and that made me more attractive than anything else oh that is hot that is connection that is relationship that is beautiful toys you have in love toys you want i would really love 
those solid wooden paddles mm. that have some kind of wording or etching or something on it so that it leaves a mark or specifically I don't know if you've seen the writing crops where it's a solid wooden head. Oh, shit. No, I haven't. Yeah. Ooh. I went to a play party once where it was a writing crop with a wooden star. Oh, like a lollipop kind of. Okay. It's wooden, though. Yeah. Instead of the little leather loop at the writing crop, it's a solid piece of wood. And I saw it during a play party. I didn't get to experience it. But I do know that the moment he hit her, there was an immediate star-shaped bruise. Like, it was already purple. Okay. I think I played with something similar, but it wasn't wooden, but it's called a lollipop. And it was some other, like, this was a circle. That was the most bruised my ass ever got. <laughs> you thought she had a tattoo of a star on her ass. Like, it was that dark, that obvious. It was a char. It was amazing. Okay, that sounds really cool. I want to try that, too. Toy-wise, my suction cups and my wand. Again, I'm still vanilla with what I own personally, but... Are you plug-in wand or battery wand? It's technically a plug-in, but it can't work when it's plugged in, which makes oh. me very depressed. It has to be unplugged for it to work. Huh. What about sexting? Funny enough, I love receiving sexting, but I get anxious when I try to do it myself. I'm definitely more comfortable with my partner. But over the years, doing it with strangers and stuff, I was like, what do you want to do to me? Now, what do you want to do to me? Now, what do you want to do to me? Like, I would never say something that I'd do to them. Ah, uh, Porn? So I started off with hentai because I was that kind of kid growing up. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I have a thing for the stepbrother, stepsister thing. I don't know why. And then I really enjoy, and this is something I actually want to try myself. I really enjoy the water stuff, like things that involve showers or pools or stuff like that. Oh, and those stupid getting stuck. Oh, she's in the washing machine. I don't know. I enjoy a porn more when it has a really cheesy story to it. Love that. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then final words on specifics of turnoffs. Obviously, anything that does not include consent is a super big turnoff, but do you have any specifics you want to add? The degrading stuff, if it's super personal, definitely the lack of consent. If there's no connection whatsoever, I had the worst sexual experiences with my one night stands okay. because I literally met them an hour before or something like that. If I have no actual connection with them, I'm probably not interested. I had better sex with a friends with benefits who happened to be my best friend. And that was the best sex because we would make stupid noises at each other in the middle of sex. It's so funny. I'm thinking back to what you said at the beginning. I'm like, I like hard sex. I like rough sex. But I also need to be able to laugh and connect. Like, I want all of it. I want the whole roller coaster to be an option. Are there any other like weird sexual disasters or triumphs or just things we haven't gotten to yet? That, like, oh, my we God. Need there's so many. I will say I had this one guy. Almost his entire sexual experience was a turnoff. It was a one night stand. So we literally met each other two hours before. We were both super drunk. So it didn't feel great to begin with. Well, first off, he lived with his parents and his bedroom was right next to his parents' bedroom. By the way, we're in our mid to late 20s. Some close proximity. Yeah. First thing he does when he goes into his room is he shows me the gun he owns. Cool. Ooh. Oh, his room is also an entire wreck. He immediately starts doing play without asking for my consent. He is thin to the point where I don't know he's in me until I hit the end. And then finally, at the end of it, he just kind of looks at me and says, sorry, babe, I don't cuddle and went to sleep. And I just left. I feel like I'm searing the sympathy of all of it. I just think it's funny because like it's I said, lot. to me, sex has become such a casual thing that like shitty sexual experiences are just 
funny at this point. It's almost like a bad TV episode. That's what I'm hearing from you. I'm like, well, thank God you thought it was funny because otherwise, what a waste of time. Oh, it, I mean, it was a waste of time to begin with, but it's a great story coming out of it. Just like the first one, I've had guys where they think this hot stuff and then they pull down their eight year pair of underwear with the band coming off. I remember telling my partner the very first time we tried having sex because the first time we had sex, no one finished. And I looked at him and I said, nothing is ever going to be perfect in this relationship. It's whether or not we want to keep going with it. Mm. Sex is never going to be perfect with us. Somebody is not going to orgasm half the time. There might be times where neither of us orgasm. There might be time where things are going to hurt. There's going to be times where it's not going to feel good. Maybe we don't feel good, all that kind of stuff. It's whether or not we want to keep having sex with each other, keep calling each other or keep communicating with each other. Everything about Every connection in this world is with a communication and it's whether or not you want to continue with it. Yeah. And it's what's the goal? Is the goal ever perfection for me? No. Is it pleasure for me? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, (laughs) probably. And there may never be a goal to it. There are people who love living in common law marriages because they don't want to get married. They don't want to have a family. Hell, maybe they just want to date their whole lives. And that's totally fine. Again, that's a different type of goal. It's whether or not it's worth it to you. Yeah, I hear the agency and the choice. And that is just hot. Okay, so what are your future hopes, goals, and dreams for your sex life going forward? Not specifics, but just like on a larger scale. So I am actually trying to get my healthy sexuality certification because on top of not just teaching about healthy sex and healthy gender identity and sexual identity, but my biggest thing is teaching about consent. When it comes to actual sex life, I don't think I have anything because I'm happy where I am. If I see something new, I'll give it a try. I'm not one to say no to something unless it involves hooks through the skin. But I have no big goals because sex is a casual thing for me. I enjoy it, but it's not this thing where I'm expecting fireworks anymore. And I'm okay with that. Great. So just hope that it continues. Yeah. As long as it doesn't get bad. I know at some point they talk about sometimes menopause causing pain. That will suck if that happens. But if it doesn't, cool. I'll just continue with it like it's you know brushing my teeth. Yes. I was just reading that chapter in the Vagina Bible. Great book to anyone who wants to know everything about vaginas. There's so much that I'm learning that's great that I'm like, wow, holy shit, I didn't know that. So excited about that book. Okay. And then if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sexual advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I don't know because I can definitely see several instances in my life where I'd want to tell myself something, but I think I just want to go ahead and just start from the beginning and let myself know that sex is not this beautiful magical thing it's always made out to be in certain aspects of genres of media and stuff like that and just roll with the punches and enjoy what you're doing lastly do you have a sex question for me what's your worst sexual experience if you want to hear the answer to that question patreon.com slash wildly honey thank you so much for sharing your sex stories thank you for letting me be here i really appreciate it ah hmm the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.